0: Amen. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, if you'll take and turn with me to James chapter number 4. As we continue our look at the letter of James, James chapter number 4. We'll be in verse 7 down through verse number 10. Um, An interesting passage of scripture. And let me say this this morning. You know, sometimes I think what we do is... why is it such a struggle um, for us to try to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, to, to to live a Christian life? You know, especially today. You know, I hear people say this all the time. Yeah, but Brother Robert, you just don't understand. You, you just... You don't understand where I am. You, you don't understand how difficult it is. Matter of fact, you, you don't understand where I work. You don't understand what I'm associated. with. You don't understand all of these things that I'm associated with. And, and, and quite frankly, it just gets tough. Well, let me let me share something with you. It, I, believe me, I understand. I, I know where you are, and I understand sometimes that we can just we we, we can get so frustrated with trying to live the life that that God desires for us to live. But one of the things that I want you to understand this morning as we get into this next part of the letter of James, God knows that. and God, God knows your frame. God knows who you are. God knows your thoughts. God knows your heart. God knows everything about you. And so one of the things that when we get saved, when we become a born-again child of God, here, here's one of the other things that, that I want you to understand as well this morning. God doesn't expect you to do it on your own. He doesn't expect you to do it by yourself. You say, well, brother, Art, how, how do you know that? Well, let me share this with you. He gave you two things. Number one, he gave you his word from Genesis to the book of the Revelation. But number two, he gave us as well the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit to be a part of our lives, when you become a child of God, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell with inside of you. And so as the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, here's what he needs to be able to help you each day as you live this life that we've been called to live. He uses the word of God to help provide direction in our lives as we live life every day. So here's where the frustrating part comes in. If you never spend time in the word of God, then the Holy Spirit doesn't oftentimes have a lot to be able to use for you to walk. They go together and it's important to be in the word of God. But how do we do this? Well, you know, the Christian faith is not true because it works. The Christian life or the Christian faith is not true because it works. It works because it's true. It works because it's true. So, so how do we live this life? Well, I'm going to tell you something. James is going to give us the answer in James chapter 4, verse 7 through verse number 10. And I'm going to give you a little bit of an English-Greek lesson here just real quickly. From verse 7 all the way down through verse 10, it's an interesting series of verses or phrases because they're what we refer to as aorist imperatives. And in aorist imperatives, here's basically what it is. In English, it's commands. It's not something that if you desire to or you want to follow, no. As James is writing this, there are 10 of them in these short verses that we're going to look at, but I will say this to you. They are the guidelines of what we need in our lives to live the Christian life the way that we should. So in verse seven through verse 10, James provides practical steps. These are practical. What he's going to do is he's going to take all of, and now he's going to make it practical for us. For dealing with a battle of self-centered living. And I will tell you, one of the problems we have today, and one of the reasons we get so frustrated today, is because self just continually gets in the way of where we are and who we are. This self-centered living. In other words, it's all about me. It's referred to and oftentimes, as it's been written about, as this me generation. It's all about me. It's all about all the things that I'm entitled to, and we lose sight of really who we are And so James is going to deal with that in these verses. So the very first step in verse 7, I want you to see the very first one out of the starting gate. And I will say this to you, it's the one we have the most difficulty with. Because notice what he says. He says in verse 7, submit therefore to God. Right out of the starting gate, submit therefore to God. That word submits an interesting word because it's actually from a military term, meaning to place under. In other words, to take your position under. When I was in the military, almost 14 years in the Air Force, one of the things you, you, you knew, one of the things they teach you from basic training all the way through the military, there's a pecking order. How many of y'all have ever heard of a pecking order? We say that all the time. Okay, It says order of authority. And matter of fact, one of the things that you did in the military, James uses it here, is he submits himself underneath the authority of the military that's over you. you know, the difficulty that we have today, and I often hear people say this all the time, well, there's nobody going to tell me what I can do and what I can't do. You know one of the things I've learned about life in 66 years? There's always somebody, okay? that's going to tell you what you can do and what you can't do. That's life. It's it's what life is about. Okay. But James says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Here's an interesting thing about it. You ready? God doesn't force you to. It's a choice. And it's a choice we have to make. To submit ourselves under the authority of God Himself, to live under the authority of God. You say, well, wait a minute. To live under His authority. Well, think about it with me this morning, just real quickly. Did God create everything and all that there is? He did. Did He create us? Well, if He did, who do you think has ultimate authority over us? He does. Now, he doesn't force us into submission. He doesn't force us into this mold. God doesn't force us there. But I will say, we just sang a song here just a moment ago, Draw Me Close. You're all I need. Now, my question is, we're real quick to sing those songs, but what happens Monday through Saturday? is that our desire Monday through Saturday? Do we surrender ourselves? Do we submit ourselves to the authority of God and who he is? I going to tell you something. Why do you think it's the very first one out of the starting gate? Because everyone after that just builds on that very first one. If we're not submissive, to the will of God and the authority of God in our lives, then I'm going to tell you something. None of the rest of these verses, none of the rest of them is going to mean anything to you. Because I can tell you right now, it's not going to happen. Well, it comes to the next step. And I want you to notice what the next step is. So submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Let me tell you what we like to do. We like to skip the first part. I hear people say this all the time. Well, man, Satan's just been after He said, well, you just need to resist him. See, we often leave that first part and we go immediately to the second part. Because I can tell you right now, everybody in this auditorium, I don't care who you are. It's part of that flesh nature of who we are. We struggle with submitting ourselves under the authority of anyone else. Well, if you submit yourself to God and under his authority, then when it comes time to resist the devil... We have something to resist him with. You see that word resist in verse number seven is an interesting word as well, because it means to set oneself against. To set oneself against. Matter of fact, Paul wrote about this. Paul in his letters, he said, here's what you need to do. You need to understand that we should never give Satan the advantage. One of the things that we should live life every day as a believer in submitting under the authority of God is to, is, is to not give Satan a foothold. When Jesus came out of the wilderness after 40 days and 40 nights, guess who was standing there waiting on him when he came out? Satan himself. You say, well, preacher, but he's God in the flesh. Yeah, he was. But he was also human. Human. Not only was he totally 100% God, but he was also man. So guess what he experienced coming out of the wilderness? There was hunger. There was thirst. What was the very first thing that Satan hit him with when he came out of the wilderness? Was a physical longing or desire to satisfy oneself with food. What did Satan hit him with? See these stones? All you got to do is command them to be turned to bread and you could eat. And your physical would be satisfied. What did Jesus say? Man shall not live by. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus never gave him. At all. A foothold. And if you go back and you look. Look. Every time that Jesus spoke to Satan, what did he do? He took him back to where? To the word. So if Jesus went back to the word, how important do you think it is for us to go back to the word? To find ourselves in the word. See, this resists the devil. It kind of illustrates that thing of drawing of the line. You know, you see, you see, have you ever, have you ever seen this before? Maybe, maybe you've done this. You kind of, you guys draw a line in the sand and said, I dare you to cross over this line. And what do we do? We back up a little bit when they step over the first and draw another line and say, I dare you step over this one. Let me tell you what James is saying. The illustration here and what James is saying by resist is to place oneself against. It's the drawing of the line in the sand. And so for believers today, one of the things that we need to do is we need to intentionally draw the line in the sand. I am not going to pass over or go over this line. I'll tell you right now this morning, it's real simple, okay? Because you draw the line every day. You either draw the line against God or you draw it against Satan. One of the two. So James says, submit therefore to God. He says, resist the devil. What's interesting here in verse 7 is a promise comes after those first two. If you submit yourself under the authority of God, allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, to spend time in the Word of God, draw the line in the sand and resist Satan and what he's attempting to do for you, guess what the promise is? He'll what? He'll flee from you. And let me tell you the reason why. It's because you don't give him a foothold. You don't give him a place to place a foot. But then we come to verse 8. And I want you to notice as they just continue to build. Not only do you need to submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. And he'll flee from you. But look at verse number 8. He says to draw near to God. To draw near to God. What is James wanting us to see in this statement of drawing near to God? Well, I think what James is trying to get across to us is in the obedience of worship. I know I hear people say this all the time. Well, you know, I just can't wait to get to church because I can't wait until we get to our worship time. Folks, please listen to me. You ought to have a worship time every day. Monday through Sunday. Let me tell you something about worship. Worship is not an event. Worship is an attitude of heart. Can you worship apart from this place? Sure you can. And matter of fact, one of the things that we ought to see is we can and we should every day. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 73 and I want you to look at verse 28. Psalm chapter 73 and verse 28. And I want you to notice as the psalmist reflects this for us. And notice what, he, notice what he says. He says, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. The nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. That I may what? Tell of all your works. The obedience of worship, the attitude of our heart. So as James is writing, we go back to James and look at verse 8 again. He says, draw near to God. Spending time every day with him. And I've said this before over and over and over again. Please listen to me. You can't afford not to. Especially where we find ourselves today, you cannot afford to let a day go by that you don't spend time in his word. My question to you, do you have a do you have a time of worship every day? You should. Why? Because it's important for you and your walk as a believer. Where do we find our strength from? From him? That's why the psalmist said in, in, in chapter 121, in verse number one, he said, I will lift up my eyes to where my help comes from. My help comes from who? It comes from the Lord. That's where it comes from. Now I know. We get to the point sometimes where we think we've got this thing all figured out. But if we're not careful, sometimes we can get so hung up on our orthodoxy that we miss the practice. In other words, we get so hung up on the knowledge that we have of what the Word of God says, we absolutely miss out on practicing it every day. It's who we are. It's our life as a believer. It's our life as a Christian. So as James is building through those, this walking in wisdom, he says to submit yourself under the authority of God. Resist the devil. Now the next thing he says is to draw near to God And notice the next part of verse 8. He says, And he will draw near to you. A.W. Tozier wrote, I thought this was very fitting of this passage. A.W. Tozier wrote, and here's what he wrote. He said, Nearness is like likeness. Nearness is like likeness. What do you mean? The closer you get to someone, the more you become like them. Have you ever seen a couple that's been married for a a long number of years? They've been together for, for a very long time. And matter of fact, here's what you often hear them say. That one will start a sentence, the other one will finish it. Well, I've been with them so long, I know what they're getting ready to say. We get to that point, and my question is... Do we spend the time with God that we get to the point that our nearness to him becomes likeness to us so that those around us see God through us and not ourselves? It's that drawing near to him. Spending time in his word submitting ourselves under his authority. That obedience of worship. But there's another difficult one in verse eight. The next command in verse eight is to cleanse your hands, your sinners, you sinners. He actually goes back to an old testament scene here of the cleansing of the hands. He said, Clear, he said, cleanse your hands. You sinners, what does he mean by that? What is is James writing there? Well, the word hand speaks of outward deeds here. To withdraw them from all evil actions and compromises. In other words, to evaluate them on a constant basis and to cleanse ourselves from them. To move ourselves away from them. Compromise. (laughs) That word today. Compromise. That's becoming quite a word today. Because if we're not careful. We find ourselves sometimes. Compromising ourselves. On what the very word of God says. And I really get. Concerned when somebody says, well, you know, here's what you need to understand. We don't know for sure that the Bible is absolutely true. You know, it was written by men. Well, that's interesting. So we find ourselves headed this direction today. That when the Bible was written, it was written in a day, and we're in a totally different world and a different culture today. Well, let me say something to you. The Bible is just as relevant today as it was the day that it was penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by those men who gave us the books that we have, that their names are are associated with. But let me say this to you this morning. God is the author of the book. compromise are we willing to compromise today surely that's not what god meant you know i said this last week when we travel down that path here's what you do you open the door and you give satan a foothold and let me tell you why surely that's not what god meant today that's the same words that he told eve in the garden of eden Surely God did not say. Cleanse your hands. No door of compromise. Remove them from evil. And then he also says in verse 8 to purify your hearts. Now he's speaking of that inward purity that's that's inside of us. Our inward life. Do we struggle with our inward life? About our thoughts. How about that that nobody can see inside of us? Are you ready for this? God sees it all. Matter of fact, he knows the very secret thoughts of of our being and who we are. I mean God knows all of that. And so he says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners. He said, and purify your hearts. He said, And he goes on, he he describes it in this way. He says, you double-minded. What did he say in the very first chapter of his letter? At the beginning and the opening of his letter. He says in chapter 1, verse 7 and verse 8. He says, for that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Be it a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. He uses the same phrase here in chapter 4 and verse 8. To be double-minded. In other words, to have a, have a division in our submission to authority. To have a division in our loyalty to him. To have a division in our love for him. Matter of fact, here's what James says. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So he said, you double-minded. You need to cleanse your hands and you need to purify your hearts. Understanding submission and resisting and the drawing near to God. So what does he mean by double-minded? Divided loyalties between God and the world. That can be tough today. That can be a tough place to walk. It can be a difficult place that we find ourselves In our life as a Christian. Then he comes to verse 9. He says be miserable and mourn and weep. He said let your laughter be turned into mourning. And your joy to gloom. Boy that doesn't sound very encouraging does it? I'm going to just kind of put it to you real quickly. In a kind of a nutshell for you. Here's what he's saying. As a believer, when we draw near to God out of the obedience of worship in our heart, understanding and realizing that he's a holy God. And as we spend time in the Word of God and we see ourselves for who we truly are. And when we see those areas in our lives that need to be to to be changed. Let me tell you what he says. James says there needs to be a brokenness over sin. There needs to be a brokenness over sin. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Do we truly have a brokenness over our sin? I ask the question: Is there a brokenness today over our sin? Matter of fact, it almost appears today that the more sin that we commit and The more things that happen, the more elevated we become. God, help us as we stand before a holy God and and are submitting ourselves to him and trying to draw near to him and spending time in the word of God as the Holy Spirit reveals in our hearts and lives where we are. May there be a brokenness over our sin in our lives as we find ourselves in the presence of a holy God. That's what he says. A brokenness Over sin. See the Bible speaks about that. Here's what it says. A godly sorrow. Always accompanies repentance. And here's the flip side of that. Because that change in our life. Then will produce a joy that is full. It'll produce a joy that's full. To have joy in our hearts and lives. As we find ourselves in his presence. And as we find ourselves in the word of God. Drawing near to God. Drawing near to the Lord and spending time with him. It should produce a joy in our lives. For who we are. Let me ask you a question. Do you sometimes get tired of watching the news? How many of y'all completely, totally quit watching the news? How many of you watch it still today with great trepidation? If I could encourage you as a church this morning with this, please listen to me. As we move closer to the last days, as we move closer to the return of Christ... And as things progressively get worse and worse, I'm going to tell you there's only one place you're going to find what you need. And that's moving close to Him. He's the only one. That's going to, let me tell you something. You want to talk sometimes about getting absolutely just discouraged? Every time I turn around, I constantly hear it, bombarded with it every single day. What's wrong with the church? You see, so and so. They just fell. Matter of fact, they had to get out of the ministry. The churches today are declining. The number of people coming into the churches today is declining. Baptisms are declining. All of this is declining. And if we're not careful, we can get our eyes so caught up on all of that that we miss the most important thing here. God is still in control of it all. It doesn't matter. I was talking to one of our teachers this morning, and we were kind of chatting just a little bit about how low the numbers would be. And I said, praise the Lord, if if instead of ten, you've got one. That one that's there still needs to hear the word of God. The teaching of the word of God, the preaching of the word of God is important today. And matter of fact, here's what God did not call us to do. God did not call us to build kingdoms within ourselves here on this face of this earth. But just to be obedient to what he called us to do. Verse 9 last part of verse 9, and your joy to gloom. Godly sorrow accompanies repentance, a change of life that will lead to joy. And then the final appeal in verse 10. Notice what he says. I want you to notice how it's bookend. Submitting yourself to the authority of God. And then on the other end of the books, it says to do what? To humble yourself. To humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and guess what it says? And He, He will exalt you. Who will? He will. Who will? He will. It's not about us, it's all about Him. Because you see, verse 10 is interesting because it contains both a command and a promise. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. You see, a person may, what appears to be, to submit outwardly, but still be full of pride inwardly. I want to read something to you this morning that I... It came across my desk this week and it really spoke a great deal to my heart when I read it <clears throat> because in the world that we find ourselves today, it's very easy to get discouraged and get to the place that you're just ready to throw in the towel and say, what's the use? These are the words that were actually found written on a sheet of paper on a young pastor's desk in Zimbabwe. Following his martyrdom for his faith in Christ. So after he lost his life, they went back to his office and they found this sheet of paper on his desk. And here's what he wrote. He said, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. He said, I've stepped over the line. You know that drawing of the line in the sand? He said, I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. He said, I'm a disciple of His. I won't look back, let up, slow down. Or back away. Or be still. He said my part is redeemed. My present makes sense and my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless uh, dreams, tamed vision, worldly talking, cheap giving and dwarf goals. He said I no longer need preeminence. Humble yourself in the presence of God and he will exalt you. He said, I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. He said, I don't have to be right. First, tops, recognized, praised, regarded. He said, oh, rewarded. Rewarded. He said, I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer, and I labor with power. Draw near to God. My face is set, he says. My gate is fast. He said, my goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough, my companions are few, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the enemy Ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. And he goes on to write, last final paragraph, he said, I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must go. Till he comes. Give till I drop. Preach till all know. And work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own. He will have. No problem recognizing me. My banner. Will be clear. He gave his life for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to walk in wisdom? James gives us all of the steps. But that first one and that last one that book in both ends are the difficult ones. Let's bow our heads together as we pray.